We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Chronicles 23, and Lord willing, we're going to cover a couple of chapters as we learn from this uh, guy uh, Jehoiada, but also from another guy named Jehoash, also known as Joash. And, and you know, as I mentioned to you guys going through the scriptures, that these uh, lives are rich in for our own admonition. They're, they're lessons that these guys lived in order for us to learn from. And, you know, sometimes we see them, they do things right, and our prayer is that we would emulate that. Uh, sometimes we th- we see things that they did wrong, and God kind of speaks to us in that as well. And for us, uh, you know, we gain that wisdom from the Word in in learning these things. And and so we read in chapter twenty three, beginning in verse one, it says, "In the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself. Interesting, huh? Strengthened himself, and and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. Azariah, the son of Jeroham." Ishmael, the son of Jehonahan, that guy right there, Azariah, the son of Obed, uh, Messiah, the son of Adaiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. And they went throughout all Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And then all the assembly made a covenant with the king and the house of God, and he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord has said of the sons of David. Now, if you were here last week, you kind of know what's going on. If if not, let me just give you kind of like the, the speed version of what's happening here. Um, what had happened was God had killed the king of Judah, Ahaziah, because these guys were worshiping Baal, they had aligned themselves with the northern kingdom, something that God did not want them to do. And so when God killed the king through Jehu in the northern kingdom, what ended up happening was the Athaliah killed the sons of Ahaziah. And so there wasn't, at least she thought she killed all of them, there wasn't like a royal son, there wasn't a lineage. And what ended up happening was this granddaughter of Omri who served Baal, the wicked god, she began to reign in Judah. And so this is a crazy time in Judah where there wasn't the, the lineage of David on the throne. And, uh, and there's a lot of things going on here that uh, I think we can glean from. You know, when there's no king of David, you're like, well, wait a minute, time out. Lord, Genesis chapter 49 verse 10, it says that that through the lineage of David and through the lineage, the kingly lineage of Judah, that's David, through the kingly lineage of Judah, the Messiah would come. So how is it now that the kingly lineage of Judah is wiped out? Because people didn't know that what had happened was uh, this gal, it was actually uh, Joash's sister, she took him and she hit him. He was only a year old. No one even knew. And so to everybody's eyes, it looked like the promises had died. And, and sometimes that happens in our life. You know, they call it the death of a vision. 
You know, like when, um, you know, you look at, for example, the, the life of Abraham and God had given him a dream and God had given him a purpose and God said through your lineage, you know, we're going to have descendants as the stars in the sky and the sand and the sea and next thing you know, there's no kids. And just year after year, 25 years go by and it doesn't look like the promises of God are coming to pass and, and then finally he gets a son, his name is Isaac, and they're real excited about him. But then the day comes and the Lord says, I want you to take Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And part of it is like, wait a minute, I don't get it, Lord. Like the dream, you want me to kill my dream? And, and in one sense, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, sometimes we look at things and, and it just doesn't add up. It's just discombobulated. It just, man, you're like struggling. And, and, and that was kind of where they were in a time like this. It didn't make any sense that there was no royal, you know, ancestor and descendant of David now. And so what was going to happen? How was the Messiah going to come? You know? And I want to encourage you guys, just in case you ever find yourself where you don't see the answers and, and you don't know what's going to happen, it just doesn't make sense, and you find yourself you know, with the temptation to get frustrated, I want you to know that God is still on the throne and God is still working out His plans and His purposes for your life. And in the perfect timing, the perfect plan will come to pass. See, and that's what's going to end up happening right here um, we see that this little guy, look back at chapter 22, verse 12. He's only a year old. He was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah uh, reigned over the land. And so what ends up happening is the, the seventh year now, we pick it up in verse 1, Jehoiada, he strengthened himself. And you know, when you think about strengthening yourself, I, that kind of doesn't make sense. You're like, well, wait a minute, time out for us as Christians. We can't do that. Well, no, we can't strengthen ourselves with our own strength, but we can strengthen ourselves in one sense with God's strength. And there's a lot of ways that we do that uh, through prayer, through the Word, through giving God your heart, you know, through faith. Lord, I believe in you. Even though nothing makes sense, even though right now, like all my dreams seem to be shattered, nothing makes sense, but I believe in you, God. And I know you're going to do a work in my marriage and with my kids and the situation that I find myself going through. Lord, I have confidence in you. And, and when you have that, it, it, in one sense, like you're strengthening yourself with, with God's strength. And, and not only that, here's the thing. That when you find yourself with the struggles that you have, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, one of the things that you can do is you can step out on your own strength. And you can come up with a great idea. Hey, I know what I'll do. I'll just, you know, and the first thing that comes to mind or the first thing that, you know, you think of or, you, you know, it's a brilliant plan. And you, you asked Freddie and you asked Eddie and you asked Betty, but you didn't ask God, right? And, and, and you know, you put it into motion, but it's not... It's not powerful. It's not the answer because it wasn't God's plan. See, what Jehoiada did was he strengthened himself by implementing a plan that God had given him. He had vision, and that's what, we, that's what I call vision. Vision is when God shows you something. Not you, not your friend, not you know experience, but 
It's when you pray about something and God shows you something. And that's what happened in this juncture in the life of this guy, this godly man named Jehoiada, is he strengthened himself and he began to implement a plan. And it says right there, he made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. So these would be the military guys, military guys, right? And then in verse 2, he went throughout all, they went throughout all Judah, and they gathered the Levites. That's all the priests, right? All the, the spiritual guys. And then the chief fathers, he mentions there in verse 2, that's all the elders of Israel. I mean, these are the guys that you see in the history of Israel that actually made kings. And so it was a plan that God had given that he, you know, he began to, to gather people together because their nation was in turmoil. Their nation was worshiping Baal. Okay, now, Baal, I don't know if you guys know about this, this crazy god uh, or, you know, demigod. He was actually a demon. Baal, um, it was really bad. Um, when the, the kingdom split, the northern kingdom, they worshipped the calves. Uh, Jeroboam led them into idolatry in that sense. And, and it was, at least they called it the Lord, even though we know it wasn't the Lord. But they said, this is the Lord, the calves. And, of course, we know that's not true. But when Ahab went into power, it got just it went from bad to worse, and they began to introduce not only the, the calves, but they began to introduce Baal. And, and Baal, if you study history, he was kind of like the descendant of uh, the generic god. They called him El, and then Baal took over. And what ended up happening was, according to the mythology of the Canaanites, uh, Baal... He fought uh, the god of drought, and he fought the god of infertility, and he beat them both. That's their mythology. And so in their eyes, uh, the worship of Baal brought rain. And in their eyes, the worship of Baal brought uh, uh, fertility and, and, and you know ancestors and families. And so, you know, what I, what I found is this, you guys... You know, the, the, the gods that, that our nation worships today, they might not call him Baal, but they still bow down at those altars. Uh, when I think of the God who provides the rain, you know what I think of? Provision. Provision. And, and in our country today, a materialistic country that we serve in today, I mean, what we find ourselves in the United States of America is that they, they, they bow down to that altar of Baal and, you know, they think that that job should be worshipped or that education. Or, and I'm not saying you can't provide for your family, but is that before God? You know, because the rain would give the crops, would give the provision, would keep your head above water. And, and what we find so many times is that in our country, in the United States of America, the reason why people are not on fire for the Lord and serving the Lord and worshiping God in, in a powerful way, filled with the Holy Spirit, is because they're so caught up in this world and the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches so that it chokes the word, the Bible says, and they become unfruitful. And then there's this other part of Baal that we're worshiping, and it's, uh, it's sex. You know, in one sense, um, one is security, provision, and the other one is sex and, and, and love, kind of love. 
And, and the, what they would do in the worship of Baal is they would actually, it's, it's crazy, they would engage in sex, and they thought that if you engaged in sex in the worship of Baal, that that would then uh, move Baal to engage in sex with Ashtara, and then that would bring to you the blessings, they say, of, of fertility. And so, you know, the, the gods, maybe their names have changed, but these are still situations that we find ourselves in today. So question, can we do anything about it? You know, there's another god that we worship in our country today. It's the god of Molech. And, you know, the, the god of Molech was a statue like this, and they would heat it up. The arms were out like this. And they would heat up that statue until it became red hot. And you know what they would do? They put their babies on there. And they would kill their babies. And that's what we do in this country. We kill our babies. You know, if you're here and you had an abortion, please, um, that, this is not by any means to condemn you because there is freedom, there is forgiveness, there is new life in Christ. That's behind you, okay? But for us, it's a reality that we have to face today, you know? Um, I, was, I don't know if you guys saw the video that they showed recently, Planned Parenthood having like a casual lunch with someone and basically for the sale of body parts, you know? They perform these abortions and, and they were just kind of saying, well, it depends on what you need. If you need, you know, this certain organ, then when they pull the baby out through those forceps, they'll make sure that they don't damage that part of the baby so they can sell you the rest of it. It's like no big deal. It's nothing to them. Even though that, that this is life that God has given and all I'm saying is this, you guys, that, that this is the dilemma that, that we find ourselves in, and this is the dilemma that, that they found themselves in. And, and I know there are some who have given up on our country. There are some who have given up, but we, we can't. You know, what can be done? You know, God can do a work. I mean, if you had to, you know, guess, I suppose if we thought whether or not our country will turn back to God, most of us here would probably say, I don't see it happening. But does that mean we give up? No way. Because this is a situation that they found themselves in, and what ended up happening was Jehoiada, one man, he rose up and he strengthened himself and God brought about an amazing work. And you know, for us as pastors, I know my, my pastor would always kind of share this with me. You know, maybe you're that man. Maybe you're that man. Maybe you're that woman that will change everything for the good. Where you will strengthen yourself. Where you will get that vision from God, that plan that comes from Him. And you will gather together, and because you, you can't do it by yourself, you, you will gather together the people that you need to implement the, the plan. And, and, you know, just whatever you do, and my prayer is this, I don't know all the details of your life, but just that you would know that there, that's something that actually is, is a possibility. You might be the next, you know, whatever, Billy Graham, or I don't know, um, you know, the, 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 the gal that, Amy Carmichael, you know, I, I don't know. But we have to know that God is able to do this work, right? 
And so he gathered all these guys together from the military and the priests and, and the elders and the guys that would be necessary. And again in verse 3, Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king, I like this, in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. And so he says, this is the plan. This is what you shall do. One third of you entering on the Sabbath of the priests and the Levites shall be keeping watch over the doors. And one third shall be at the king's house and one third at the gate of the foundation. All the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests and those of the Levites who serve. They may go in, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapon in his hand. And whoever comes into the house, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. And so, remember, Queen Athaliah, she's reigning. I mean... I hate to sound weird or anything, but I almost think, like, what if Hillary gets elected, you know? I mean, I don't know. I just, I just think stuff like that, you know? Like, man, what's going to happen? So here's Athaliah, and she's reigning, and it is bad. She's been reigning for about seven years now. It's just, it's bad. It's crazy, right? And so um, Jehoiada, the Lord says, it's time. It's been seven years number of completion god's perfect timing it's time and they rise up and they come up with the plan and it's on the sabbath day and that's using everything here is, is so wise he's using wisdom because then the queen's not going to suspect anything you know the change of the guard so to speak and so you know they got guys stationed in different places to protect just in case anyone wants to touch the king and no one can go in the temple unless they're supposed to and and so they're going to protect this king guess how old he is now he's seven years old right <laughs> that's pretty cool and so we read next the levites and all judah did according to all that jehoiada the priest commanded and each man took his men who were to be on duty on the sabbath with those who were going off duty on the sabbath for jehoiada the priest had not dismissed the divisions and Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains of hundreds the spears and the large and small shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of God. And then he said, All the people, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar and by the temple, all around the king. And they brought out the king's son. They put the crown on him, gave him the testimony, and made him king. Then Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. You're like, wait a minute, Manny, time out. I thought you're supposed to submit to those in authority. Not when they're in sin. Right? And right here you see Athaliah, she's in straight out sin. And, and, and Jehoiada says, okay, Joash is now seven years old. He's, I think, old enough, you know. To, to do this, and we're going to make him king. And so it's so cool, they put the crown on his head, and then right away they give him the testimony, and that would be, that would be the word of God, right? Because that's the way the kings are supposed to, to lead. If you go back to Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there, I'll, I'll read it to you. 
uh, unless you don't trust me, you can read it also in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Talking about the king, it says, Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one who before the Levites and the, and the priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it, notice, all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. And so they put the crown on his head, and they put the Bible in his hand, and they say, God is doing a new work. You see, when you, when you see the work that Jehoiada did, it wasn't, it, it was part of it was because of the fact that, you know, they wanted to have the right governor, the right ruler, the right leader. But I think a large part of it was because they wanted to make sure that they had, so to speak, the Lord. Because the Messiah would come through the royal lineage of Judah, and everybody knew that was supposed to be David. And so they anoint him by the power of the Holy Spirit. They give him the word of God. Those are the things that can actually help us be leaders. And here's Jehoiada, used by God in such a tremendous way that now they have a new start. A new start. And maybe you're here today and your family needs a new start or the ministry needs a new start or whatever, this city, this country, God is able to do that work. You know, right here is kind of interesting. You know, Je Jehoash or Joash, he kind of represents just Jesus. And, and my prayer, you guys, is that in your life, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And so they, they crown him king. Everybody's all happy. Look at verse 12, except for one gal named Athaliah. It says, now when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Also the singers with musical instruments and those who led in praise. So Athaliah tore her clothes and said, Treason, treason. I mean, this is after she had killed all of his brothers. I mean, talk about hypocrisy, right? And so when Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds who were set over the army and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not kill her in the house of the Lord. And so they seized her, and she went by way of the entrance of the horse gate into the king's house, and they killed her there. And so, you know, it's interesting. Today we're living in a time where, in, in a large sense, you know, evil does prevail. But do you guys ever think about that time when Jesus comes? Jesus is coming and, 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 and righteousness will rule. When every wrong will be made right, every evil will be put down. You know, I kind of wish it was today. How many of you wish the Lord would come today? You know, some of you here, well, I still got a few loved ones that need to get saved. And so hold on just a couple more months. Okay, we'll give you two months. You go witness to them, okay? But, um, man, you know, um, the wickedness, 
that we see in the world today, one day, man, God's going God's to come. It, it'll be over. It's just temporary, right? This is kind of a picture of that. She sees what they're doing. She's upset. She tears her clothes. She calls it treason. You know, um, according to the Bible and the uh, civil law of Israel, if anybody turned their hearts uh, away from the Lord, now remember, they are theocracy. This is not just, a, you know, United States of America democracy or, you know, something that we can see nowadays, but as a theocracy, this Israel, you know, governed by God, they had the right to do this. And they took her out and, and they killed her, right? And, and so we read in verse 16, it's so beautiful. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king that they should be the Lord's people. I love that, man. I love that. Okay, you guys, what type of covenant are we going to make here today? Okay, I tell you what, let's make this covenant. Everybody here, I want you to read your Bible and pray for an hour every day in the morning, okay? That's our covenant. Everybody here, here's what I want from you. Every time those doors are open, I want you to be here. If not, you're a second-class Christian. No, I'm just joking, you know? I mean, we could come up with so many rules and regulations and things like that. And, you know, sometimes we do. But the Lord has really been ministering to me more and more and more and more. You know, things like this. It's about a personal relationship, Manny. And that person over there, you might not see him every week, but, man, they love Jesus. And God has his hand on them, and they're a part of this church. This is all that we ask, you know, between the leader, between the, the people, and just this whole new work that God's doing. This is all we ask, that, that you know who you are. That's what he's saying right there. You make a covenant between himself and the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. And you're like, well, Manny, I already am. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Christ. I repented of my sins, received my Lord and Savior. I have the inner assurance. I have the outer assurance. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Then why don't you act like one? Sometimes we're not who we are. Sometimes in one sense, we don't conduct ourselves with the heavenly citizenship that we, that we bear. You know, to, to, to just know who you belong to, to know how much he loves you, to know the plans that he has for your life, not the plans that you have for your life. You're like, God, you know, this is what I'm going to do. Bless it. And God is just saying, no, I don't want you to do that, mijo. You belong to me. You know, we are the Lord's people. A couple of really cool passages over in the book of Psalms. Uh, chapter 95. I'll let you guys turn there this time. 95 in, in, in verse 6. So come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of his hand. I mean, every once in a while, we need to be reminded of that. I belong to him. He's my shepherd. I'm his sheep. See, that's part of the covenant that he's trying to get them to, man, that, that the people would make that covenant that they should be the Lord's people. If you go over to Psalm 100, in, in verse 3, 
Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. You see, the Lord made you. You belong to Him. Don't go worshiping other gods. You know, don't worship the God of uh, Baal and, you know, you're worshiping the material prosperity or, or, you know, you're thinking that he's the one that's going to bring, you know, good things down from heaven. It's God who brings good things down from heaven. It's the living God. That's the one that you want to worship, that you're all in. You, that he has your heart, not a religion, not superficial, not artificial, but a relationship with God, you know, to where you, it doesn't even matter. I can be rich, I can be poor, it doesn't matter as long as I got the Lord. That's, he's my security. And then you're looking for love when God is saying, I got all the love that you will ever need, sweetheart. I, I love you. You don't have to go look into this or that or some guy he gets, you know, hey, let's be together sexually, intimately. You're not married. And those are the things that unfortunately people, they sell out for. And, and, and the Lord is just saying, no, let's, let's make a covenant. You be my people. You just be my people. And to me, back in Second Chronicles, that's, that's really such a beautiful covenant that, that we need. And, and, and so we read in verse 17, And all the people, they went to the temple of Baal, tore it down, they broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, uh, before the altars. I mean, they dealt with sin. We talked about this a lot of times, right? Being a Christian is putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Out go the dirty magazines. You know, if your phone is, is causing you to sin because you're looking at pornography, you get rid of it. You get an old flip phone if necessary. I mean, hey, right? I mean, it's better to you know, go to heaven with a flip phone than go to hell with a smartphone, right? I mean, you're out with the old, in with the, with the Lord. You know, you have to go home and you have to clean house. And you have to get on your knees and you have to get on your face and you have to ask God, what needs to go? And when God says, get rid of it, or if you're here, you're like, well, I'm not sure. If you're not sure, get rid of it. And that's what they did. They went, they tore down those altars. They cleaned house. They were serious about the Lord. In verse 18, and Jehoiada appointed the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had assigned to the house of the Lord to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord as it is written in the law of Moses with rejoicing, with singing as it was established by David. And he set the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one who is in any way unclean should enter. And, and they're just really, Lord, I love you. I love you. Not Pharisees, but holy holy and then he took the captains of hundreds the nobles the governors of the people and all the people of the land and brought the king down from the house of the lord and they went through the upper gate to the king's house and set the king on the throne of the kingdom and so all the people of the land notice rejoiced and the city was quiet for they had slain athaliah with the sword 
And I don't know, maybe there's something or someone. It can be, they usually say, an ambition or possession or relation. Something that needs to be slain in your life. Ask God, He'll show you what it is, right? Because when that happens, then there's this quiet, there's this peace, and there's this joy that God wants to give you. It's so cool. And so we read in verse 1, Joash was seven years old when he became king. Isn't that cool? Can you imagine a seven-year-old being king? He was probably like, hey, give me a we now. A we you now, you know. And I'm just joking. He was raised by a godly man. This guy Jehoiada, oh man, he was amazing. And anyways, he's seven years old when he becomes king and he reigned 42 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Zibia of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's all that matters, in the sight of the Lord. All the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now that right there we're going to see is, is, is kind of a sad statement. And so Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart. The king's growing up. We don't know for sure how old he is, but he's getting a little older now. And he set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. And then he gathered the priests and the Levites and he said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah, gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. And so the king called Jehoiada the chief priest and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witnesses and for the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. And so when, when Joash got old enough, um, and this is an interesting thing, I, I think he really loved the Lord. I, I think he did. Um, and, 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 he, and one day he goes into the temple and he's all, hey man, I don't get it. You know, why is it dilapidated the way it is? It's all messed up. The house of God. It wasn't normal wear and tear. I mean, this was beyond that. This was, uh, you know, the sons of Athaliah had broken in. They broken in and they took things and it was, things were missing and, and it just, it wasn't right. You know, and someone might say, well, man, it's just a building. I mean, that's not really a big deal. But you want to know something, you guys? When we neglect the house of God, the building, it's a reflection of maybe leaders who would neglect the body. You know, not necessarily that we have to have the nicest building, but it should be uh, neat. Not that we have to have, you know, say the crystal cathedral, you know, costly but it should be clean. You know, not that it should be the fanciest or finest of all structures, but it should be fixed and functional. You know, and when we look at our, our building and, you know, hey, the air conditioning is not working and people are getting mad at me. Manny, what's up with you, you know? And whatever it might be, you know. Um, for us, I, I think it's a good heart to say, hey, let's fix that. Because this is a reflection of the way that we love not just the building, but the body. 
And so when Joash saw that, he said, hey, we got to do something about this, man. So you guys go out and you collect the, it was actually the census money. It was supposed to be given for the, the uh, you know, sustenance of the, of the temple anyways. But they didn't do it. You know, for whatever reason, um, they, they dragged their feet and, and Joash was kind of upset. It's interesting, even, even to the point where he called Jehoiada. That was his mentor. He called him. He said, hey, what's up? You know, and, and so he really wanted to implement this, right? And so we read in verse 8, Then at the king's command, they, they made a chest. They set it outside at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. And then all the leaders and all the people, notice, rejoiced. And they brought their contributions and put them into the chest until, notice this, you might want to circle this in your Bible, all had given. You know, and you guys coming on a midweek service, it's a little different with you, but they say that only 20% of the church actually gives, actually tithes. And so imagine if everybody gave. Not only that, you know, imagine if everybody gave the way that they gave right here. They, you know, hey, you guys, we got to uh, fix uh, the, the roof. It's leaking. And, and so a lot of people were like, what? Are you serious? You know, I, I only go to Starbucks like four times a week. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> and it's like, you know, sometimes people, as far as giving to the Lord, they, they don't want to give. But you know what the Bible says? It says that God wants a cheerful giver. I like 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. You know, and again, you guys, we don't talk about this hardly ever. You know, we hardly ever talk about giving. So much so that people have actually said, Manny, you messed us up because they need to, they need to learn this stuff on, on giving and tithing and all that kind of stuff. But, but you know what? The Lord has shown me that I won't. If ever comes a day where we don't have enough money to pay the rent, I'll get a job. Um, or, you know, if God wants to close the doors because there's not the provision, so be it. But we're not going to ask for funds for us. But when we come to places in the Bible where they talk about it, that's what Pastor Chuck said. Then, yeah, cool, teach. When you give, here's what I'm going to tell you guys. When you give, give with a joyful heart or don't give. Okay, you go buy a hamburger and get indigestion, okay? <laughs> Poison. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> when you give, man, give hilariously. I remember seeing this one video about one guy who was giving to the offering. Do you guys remember seeing it? And he was all dancing. Oh, man, we should do that. We should do that. <laughs> Anyways, these guys were so happy that they could give. And so, at verse 11, so it was at that time when the other, when the chest was brought to the king official by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, that the king's scribes and the high priest and officer came and emptied the chest, took it, returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance and the king and Jehoiada, notice they're together there, gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord 
and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. And so the workmen labored and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and they reinforced it. And I just love it when you see guys working like this. It's so cool. We have a neat body here. Anyways, verse 14, When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, and they made from it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offering spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. And you guys, this is what life should be for us as Christians. Let me ask you a question today because we only got about five minutes left. Otherwise, I'm going to start getting dirty looks. But you know, um, how, is your, how is your walk, man? How is your Christianity? How is your life? You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, Manny, it's terrible. It's terrible. And, and you know, you're looking at your, your, your circumstances. You're looking at the storm. And you're not looking at Jesus. Let me tell you something, man. Jesus has the winds and the waves and the demons and the problems. All of that is under his feet. Uh, it doesn't matter what we're going through. Um, I talked to Carlos and his daughter has leukemia. And I can't think of anything that would hurt so much as something like that. I mean, let me have leukemia. Don't let my daughter have it. But talking to him, even in times like this, for those of you who have, you know, homeboy, he builds you up. Because he has his eyes on the Lord. And, and when I look at this right here, and I see the times of Jehoiada, I see him as such a, a beautiful Christian, that during his days, there was blessing, and during his days right there, they were just offering those burnt sacrifices. It says right there in verse 14, burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. And you guys know what a burnt offering is, right? You're like, yeah, when you burn your food. No, it's not that. You're like, I'm going to do a burnt offering tonight. No, it's not that. A burnt offering is when you give everything to God. That's what the burnt offering symbolize, where you give everything to God. You lay it all down on the altar, and you let it all get consumed. And God, you have all of me. You have my, my imagination. You have my thoughts, my eyes, my hands. You have my feet. You have my heart. You have all of me. And that's where they were, such a beautiful place during this time of Jehoiada. But look what happens. It says in verse 15, But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah, notice, came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore, this is just so crazy, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols 
and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to, to bring them back to the Lord and they, and they testified against them, but they, they would not listen. And then the Spirit of God, it's like God is like getting like, you know, he's really trying to reach them, come back to me. The Spirit of God, he came upon Zechariah, this, notice who he is, he's the son of Jehoiada. I mean, this is the king, he was spared at one years old, he was raised by Jehoiada and his wife, I mean, this guy had mentored him, had poured into him, had just been his spiritual father, his father all his life. And now here's one of his sons, who by the way, remember back in, in, in chapter 23, verse 11, was, was there anointing him as king. He comes and he, and he testifies. It says right there, the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest who stood above the people, and he said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? You see, what that tells me is that if I'm obedient, I'll prosper. He doesn't know that. I mean, it's so cool. God how wants to how God wants to bless your life. The reason they couldn't prosper is because you have forsaken the Lord. He also has forsaken you. And we saw what that means. That means that you no longer can get the blessings that you're supposed to get. Now you're going to receive discipline. God's second best, third best, things like that, right? And so they conspired against him. They didn't like what this guy was saying. And at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, the, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. He was asking for like a, a holy justice, right? And so it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. And when they had withdrawn from him, they left him severely wounded. They, they didn't kill him. The Syrians didn't kill him. But notice what happened. His own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada, the priest, and killed him on his bed. And so he died and they buried him in the city of David. But they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. These are the ones who conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonites, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimrith, the Moabites. Now concerning his sons and the oracles about him and the repairing of the house of God, indeed they are written in the annals of the book of the kings. And then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. And so... You know, something we see uh, so frequently when we read through the Kings, huh? And let me just close by saying this to you guys. Uh, a couple of lessons. Number one, when people come and bow down to you, they want to flatter you. Beware of manipulation. That's what happened with uh, King Joash. And, and then secondly, um, this. Make sure you finish well. 
make sure you finish well. This guy had such a great start. I mean, he did things that were so beautiful, and they entered into this covenant to be the Lord's people. Let's take care of the Lord's house because it's a reflection of him, and they were doing so well. But he finished terrible. And, and, and it makes me wonder, and, and you guys can talk about this when you go to In-N-Out afterwards. You guys can just have this type of conversation. Did, did, did Joash, did he, did he ever have a strong faith? Some people say that his problem was he never had a strong faith, that it was, it was um, shallow. And it was only something that he was strong when Jehoiada was there propping up his faith, that, that we had to be so careful that we learn from leaders, but we don't lean on them. Because the day may come when those leaders aren't there, and if our faith is just leaning on them, then we're not going to be able to stand. And that happens sometimes. But secondly, maybe, maybe it was strong. Maybe it was real. Even the time he called Jehoiada up and he said, Hey, what's up with this? I don't know. Only the Lord knows. But either way, uh, here's the thing. I don't know how many days, weeks, months, years that we have left. But whatever it is that we have, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Give God everything that you are. Because if you do, let me tell you something, man. God is going to change the world. God is going to impact this family that you live in or this community that you find yourself in or that workplace that he's planted you or this world because nothing is too hard for God. And so what's he looking for today? I believe a large part of it because God's sovereign, God's on the throne. But he's looking for people that would strengthen themselves with his strength. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.